Good morning. Uh, Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 8 through 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is God's word. Thank you, Jane. Well, good morning, Cedar Run. We're going to be focusing on, first of all, turning my stopwatch on. But first of all, we're going to be focusing on Romans chapter 15 there. So go ahead and park your Bibles there. And as always, I have a lot of scripture for you. Don't try to chase me around the scripture. Someday I will remember to give those verses to Dolores for the bulletin. But just write them down for later. I'll read them all to you. So uh, we're going to be focusing on the very last verse of what Jane uh, just read for us this morning. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now, Paul here, he's writing to the Roman church about how the awakening and strengthening of hope in the Christian life happens. How there should be an overflowing of hope among God's people. We should be expecting that in our walk with Jesus. And this verse is a request to God. It's actually a prayer from Paul to God on behalf of the Roman church. So Paul would be requesting something if it wasn't possible. This is completely possible to have in our lives. So based on what Paul is saying, there's no reason for us to be living in that northern Virginia, that Nova state of perpetual anxiety. We should be living in an abounding hope. One of my favorite uh, old-timers, Charles Spurgeon, wrote this about the things of God. The sweetest delights are still grown in the gardens of Zion and are meant to be enjoyed by us are within our reach and our grasp. So this kind of hope and peace and joy also, it tells us, right, they're within our reach through the help of the Holy Spirit. So let us accept that, right? Let us enjoy it. So this morning we're going to look at this blessed state we're supposed to be living in as Christians. So three things about this peace and joy and hope, okay? Where does it come from? That's our first thing this morning. Secondly, what does it feel like? to be living like that? And lastly, what does it lead to? So firstly, uh, where does this blessed state come from? Secondly, what does it feel like? And lastly, what does it lead to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for every sentence, every, uh, every half sentence, Lord. It's so packed with meaning. I pray that you would open eyes and ears and hearts so we could see, hear, and understand what it is you would say to us today. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, where does it come from? Okay? Where does this joy and peace from our passage 
that, that we're supposed to be walking around with every day, where does it come from? Let's look at the first part of that verse, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. The God of hope. Everything starts with God. May the God of hope fill you. If there's any hope for peace and joy that is deep and eternal and fulfilling, it's going to be founded on God. And he is the God of hope, after all, isn't he? So any other foundation is going to fail. So joy and peace that we're supposed to be living in, it comes from the God of hope. And listen, you've got to start with God. You cannot cut straight to joy. You can't go straight to peace. I think it's going to last. Your goal can't be specifically to find joy and peace, right? If I just find the right career, I'll have joy in my life. Or if I find that special someone, I'll finally be at peace. That's not going to work because those are tied to something that you can lose or have taken away. That's not, doesn't result in joy. That's happiness. And happiness isn't a bad thing, but it's nowhere near as deep as joy. But the joy, the peace we're talking about here is always a byproduct of something else, something higher. There's something higher than joy and there's something higher than peace. They're not ultimate things in and of themselves. So last week we saw, if you remember, the glory of Christ and the truth of the word shown to us by the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? It was rejoicing. It was joy. So there was a higher and ultimate thing there, right? The glory of Christ and the truth of the word. And Christ was the cause of it. In the same way, joy and peace today are a byproduct of something else. Something in our main verse even today. Listen to this. The God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, but there's also something else here. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. Our joy and peace can only grow out of belief in the God of hope. That's the only way it's going to happen. There is a hope that God can give us, and that's where the joy and peace comes from in our life. Because as humans, we, act, we have an emptiness. There's a hole within us that must be filled. We are missing a key part of our humanity. And frankly, it makes us feel inadequate. And some would say we even feel hopeless very often. Deep down, we know we've fallen short. But we don't measure it up to whatever it is we're supposed to be doing with our lives. So that's where our insecurity comes from. That's where our hopelessness comes from. And that's where a lot of our pride comes from, from too. So we undercompensate and we get anxious and depressed and we overcompensate and we get prideful and kind of stuck up about ourselves. And it breaks our relationships too. Because instead of really loving our neighbors, having that outlook, we use our neighbors as a means to an end. We want to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We want to look better in comparison to our neighbors. We use them to lift ourselves up. Oftentimes by pressing them down, by slandering them, by gossiping, by trying to do better than they are. It's always a competition. We're overcompetitive. And it's all because of that hopelessness. But God offers us hope. If we believe in the God of hope. If we admit to God that we've got some serious issues. And the theological term for serious issues is what? It's sin. Okay. If we admit God admit to God that we submit ourselves to Jesus as our Savior, then you get the joy and peace in believing. So you've got to be a believer. 
You know, for me, it was, when I first became a Christian, I was in my mid-20s, and it was like a a boulder being lifted off of my shoulders, and I felt that I could breathe for the first time. When I finally accepted that free gift offered by Jesus, there was a real joy and peace in my life for the first time. And listen, I want to be real with you guys, okay? Because as Christians, we're not always feeling the joy and peace. It's completely possible that you could be a Christian and not be feeling the joy and peace. We're more restless and exhausted and harried and hopeless. There's no joy and peace because we're running flat out on empty tanks in the Nova hamster wheel. Why do we fall into that trap every time? I'm going to slow it down. I'm not going to, you know, be as competitive. I'm going to chill out a little bit. Here's the reason, okay? We've lost sight of the believing part of the joy and peace in believing. You can lose sight of that. So instead of a believer in Jesus, you may be a Christian, but functionally, instead of a believer in Jesus, you become a believer in you. Instead of a Jesus follower, you switch identities. Everything that you're doing and chasing and working at, you have an ulterior motive. There is actually work going on beneath the work that you're doing. So it's not just about being a good company employee or putting food on the table. It's not about just your kids having fun in sports. That's work, okay? That's the surface level work. But beneath it, something is going on. You're trying to gain your acceptance through it. Okay? You're, trying, you're working at trying to gain your acceptance. There's a work underneath the work, and it's a sneaky kind of work, and it's a self-validating kind of work. You're believing in your work rather than Jesus' work, and that's why you have no peace and joy. Maybe you're believing in your job or your bank balance or your busyness, right? Well, I got to, if somebody says, well, I'm so busy, you ever say to them, like, they go, are you, how busy are you? Well, I'm not busy at all. Wouldn't that feel weird? You know, sometimes it's true for me because I try to, I try to dial it back here and there and people say, oh man, I'm just really running around and, uh, and they probably don't usually ask you about your life, right? But when they do, if you say, I'm not really busy at all, that would be kind of unnova, wouldn't it? They'd be like, what's wrong with this person, right? But the reason there's no joy and peace in your life sometimes is that we say we believe in the God of hope, right? But we're really counting on ourselves. We're really hoping in ourselves and that you got this culture instead of God's got this. So listen to a couple of verses here that I ran across in Romans 8, 6. The mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. Romans 14, 17, just before our chapter today. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That means anything that we do on earth, right? But of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How many of our lives are like that? If we have any hope of hope, so to say, God himself must be our hope. You know, what if you're here today, though, you're not a Christian, okay? Listen, let me give you some advice. You can't look for some joyful experience or some peaceful time in your life and make that uh, the foundation of your relationship with God. It's not going to work. Oh, God did this for me or he gave me uh, this thing. Now I'm going to love him for it. That's not the way it's designed to work. That is not a good enough motivation to hold your relationship together with God. It's going it's to ultimately fail and it's really super thin. And you're going to get it someday. You'll get it when the excitement of what happened or uh, 
when that excitement wears off or whatever you think it is that God gave you gets taken away, you're going to be crushed and you're going to drop God like a hot potato. You're going to deconstruct because your belief was based on the wrong thing. You've got to come to God in belief in what Jesus did for you, not for some idol that you wanted or uh, something that you think God gave you to buy your love. Look, God doesn't buy our love with trinkets. He buys it with blood. The Romans had a goddess of hope, actually. Can you believe that? They've got a god, god or a goddess for everything. They adopted it from the Greeks, as they were known to do, stealing other people's gods, right? But the god of hope, her name was Spes, S-P-E-S. Uh, and it was said that she clung to the side of Pandora's box. Kind of like when we cling to an earthly hope. So whatever happened to the goddess of hope? Well, all the books about it say that the Temple of Hope was struck by lightning one day and burned to the ground. That's probably a Stoic story because the Stoics in Greek and Roman culture didn't like hope. Okay, They thought it was hopeless anyway. It's all a bunch of nonsense. But the Temple of Hope burned to the ground. Look, anything else that you hope in, anything else you cling to other than Christ, your standing, your reputation, a pharisaical religion maybe, it's all going to burn. And not only that, if that false hope gets loose in your Christian spiritual life, it's going to be like Pandora's box opening. Because if you're a Christian, it's going to lay waste to your spiritual life. Because false hope always rides on Pandora's box. All right, Pastor Blake, we have this state here, being filled with all peace and joy and believing based on the God of hope, right? That sounds good. Where do we get it? Listen to verse 12 of our passage. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Who is the root of Jesse? That is Jesus, right? Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. That is us. So Jesus is the one who brings us true hope. Now, I want to get into what this peace and joy looks like, though, okay? And that's our second point. We know, okay, that the source is the God of hope. We know how to get it by belief, right? Peace and joy in believing. Now, I want to talk about what is, what is it like? What does actually living in peace and joy look like? Without using things you've already heard a million times, okay, about joy and peace. Here's two quick ways you can experience joy, Okay? Love Jesus. As we love Jesus. In fact, the more you love Jesus, the more you want to do his commands. Because there's a joy that the Holy Spirit gives us that sustains us as we love Jesus that drives and changes our will. That is one that wants to obey God. The Holy Spirit does that. We, we begin to get joy in obedience. I mean, if you just try some random rule out of God once or twice, it might work, right? And you might get joy out of that. Like, hey, like, not committing adultery in my marriage, that really worked out for me. That's joy, right? I mean, that's good news. Or not lying. That situation worked out when I told the truth. You can get some joy out of that, okay? Listen to what John says uh, in, the, in, the, in chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We're going to see more of Christ as we obey. So remember, who we obey is who we love. If we really love somebody, we do what they want us to do. I love Tracy, so when she wants me to do things, I want to do them. And it's joyful because I'm pleasing her, right? So who we obey, we love. And who we love, 
we obey? How much more for Christ? Here's the second way you can have a little joy in your life, okay? Remember this. Our strength is directly proportional to our joy. Our spiritual strength is directly proportional to our joy. You're not going to be able to handle the tough times unless you've got joy. Listen to what Nehemiah said in chapter 8, verse 10 of Nehemiah. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be aggrieved, for the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Now, anytime someone says, eat the fat, I'm thinking marble ribeye, okay? That's why I take Lipitor. But listen, the fat in the Old Testament is the stuff that got sacrificed to God, okay? That's the good stuff. So it can't be bad for us, can it? But what Nehemiah is really saying here is you're going to be going about your everyday stuff, right? That's eating and drinking. Uh, you're going to have an attitude of generosity about the things that you have. Be willing to give them away, to be, to be open-handed about them. And as long as you're recognizing the holiness of God in all those things you do during the day, and as long as you're being generous, your grief, your grieving is going to go down, and your joy is going to go up, and your walk with God will be strong. There is joy in that. Eating the fat. There's strength and joy, and there's joy and strength. So that's a couple things about joy, all right? Now, here's a couple thoughts about peace. First of all, it's not your peace. I want you to know that, okay? It's a peace that belongs to somebody else. It's Jesus' peace. Listen to John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John Owen said this about the peace of Jesus. He says, The peace of Christ consists in the soul sense of its acceptation with God and friendship. That's a very Puritan word, right? Acceptation. Acceptation. How do you say that? But here's the 2022 version. There's a deep sense of peace when you know you've been accepted by God. Through Jesus, through his sacrifice for our sin. Jesus has given us a deep peace with God over that. We've been accepted by God through Christ. Here's a couple more verses for you. Ephesians 2, 14. For he himself is our peace. That's Jesus. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Listen to Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Listen, Christian, you can have a deep peace knowing that there is nothing or nobody standing in between you and God. There's no more hostility, as Paul's talking about. There's no more alienation in your mind, okay? There's this great imagery in Zechariah chapter 3. There's this incredible imagery where Joshua is standing in front of God in filthy clothes. And he's literally covered in excrement. And you know how clean you were supposed to be, how clean the high priest had to be before he went into the presence, right? And Satan was right there accusing him too. You're filthy, you're dirty, you're guilty, you're unworthy. And Zechariah sees this angel, and it's the angel of the Lord. And he comes and says, take off his filthy clothes. He says, see, I've taken away your sin. And the angel turns to Satan and says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen 
Jerusalem. That angel puts these clean and perfect white robes on Joshua. That is a picture of every Christian, every person who follows Jesus. There is peace in that, complete and utter peace. But when Paul write, writes that verse in Colossians, it's chapter 1, 22 and 23. For homework, I want you to keep reading that. But listen, he, when he writes it, he says, you were once hostile and alienated from God, but no more. And Paul is worried about these believers in Colossae, okay, because he follows up in the next few verses and he says, now you're reconciled. And he says, if you don't shift from the hope, if you don't shift from the gospel in which you have heard. <gasps> oh my gosh, the first time I saw that verse. If you don't shift from the gospel in which you've heard, is he talking about losing their salvation? No, absolutely not. This isn't a warning about losing their salvation. What Paul is saying is that they could go back to feeling alienated uh, from God if their, shift hopes, if their hope shifts off the gospel in the day-to-day. That's why as a Christian, you can, have, you can be a Christian and not have the joy and peace. You can be not feeling it. It's not because you aren't saved or because you're not good enough. And listen, when your conscience gets pricked, okay, when you hear the word and you're convicted of your sin, don't fall to pieces, please. Don't lose your peace and your joy. Don't go back to feeling alienated or hostile, like there's something between you and God in your mind, okay? Remember the gospel. Apply it to yourself. Imagine your Joshua in your rags and the angel of the Lord. You know who the angel of the Lord is? That is Jesus. In every instance in the Bible, when you see angel of the Lord, think Jesus. Jesus himself has helped you out of your sinful, filthy rags, and he's dressed you in white because the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. The Lord has chosen you. You can have joy and peace in that. How can we not? But you need the angel of the Lord to do it. You need Jesus to do it for you. If you guys uh, have read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia books, uh, there's this book, a part of it, called The Dawn Treader. And there's this odious, greedy little kid uh, who all he wants to do is get rich. And he's dreaming of treasure and piles of gold. And it turns out what he was dreaming about was dragon treasure. So, uh, of course, bad things have to happen when you're trying to get a treasure, right? So he wakes up from his dream of a pile of gold, and he's wearing a dragon skin himself. He's got a dragon skin now, and he's trying to pull it off. He's trying to scrape it off, but it's too thick, and it's too deep. So Aslan, Aslan the lion, you know, Aslan in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia is the Jesus figure, right? Aslan says, I'm going to have to take it off for you. It's too deep. It's too thick. You're not going to be able to do it. Now, Eustace, that's the boy's name. He was afraid of it, though. He was afraid of Aslan's claws. Those are lion claws. They slice. They're sharp. And Aslan's claws sliced at his skin. And Eustace says he, he thought it was like the claws were going to go so deep into his heart. And it didn't hurt when he was pulling in his own skin. But when Aslan did it, he felt something that he, a pain he never felt before. But then it was over like that, and he was a boy again. He didn't have the nerve. He didn't have the strength to go as deep as he needed to do to get rid of his own sin. And a lot of times, we don't face our own sin. We don't repent. We don't think about it. We don't offer it to God because we're afraid of going too deep on ourselves. The sin is too deep on us to pull the gar those garments off ourselves, to pull that skin off ourselves. Jesus had to do it. But then we think it wasn't enough and that we're failures and then the joy and peace are gone. Stop it. He loves you. 
What Jesus did for you means that you can rest. You can have joy and peace from hiding from your sins, from trying to cover them up, from trying to earn your way back. Because like Paul said, you are already reconciled. There should be no hostility. You're no longer alienated. After all Christ did to peel those garments, to get that dragon skin off of you, don't try to go back. Don't cling to that molted off snake skin. Don't wear it like a cloak. And quit trying to take it off yourself if you're not a Christian. One last thing about joy and peace. You're not always going to see them together. But they're all, they always are together. They're kind of joined at the hip. Because joy, as Spurgeon said this, joy is peace dancing and peace is joy resting. They're always together. Maybe one's kind of like doing his thing while the other one's chilling out. But what does it lead to? What does that lead to? It leads to the God of hope, right? We get that through the God of hope. So what, is, what does, that's our last point of the morning, what does this joy and peace in believing that we get from the God of hope, what does it lead to? We get hope to start, and guess what? We get hope to finish. We get even more hope. We started with hope, and we finish with an abounding hope. I mean, there's more hope than the hope I just talked about. Absolutely. It's like if somebody brought you into like a storage unit or a vault and sold you a pallet full of cash and said it's yours, and they said, but there's more. There is more. Paul says there's more. Listen to verse 13 of our passage. All that we talked about, the joy and peace and believing based on the God of hope, right? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. There's not just hope, there's an abounding hope. So the verse begins with the God of hope. It brings us to holy joy and peace, but only so we can come back to hope again. And not only hope, but an abounding hope. There's the first hope we talked about from the God of hope, and it's a hope that leads us to the cross. It makes the gospel real to us. It's a hope that's actualized in our salvation. But this hope, this other hope, okay, this abounding hope, it doesn't come from believing. The joy and peace comes from believing. It does. But this hope actually comes from the joy and peace in having believed. Hope looks forward, and hope also looks back. And that's only by the power of the Holy Spirit, only by looking back at the gospel. And it's a supercharged hope. It is a spirit-charged hope. And you can't get this kind of hope if you're not a believer. You can't get it. In fact, if you're not a believer, you don't get either hope. That's a bummer. You only get some vague sense that you're not really being your true self. And not the TikTok true self, okay, but the true self that God created you to be. So we had a hope first, right? We had a hope. God gave us a hope that there was a way out of our predicament if you believe. But this hope on the back end, this abounding hope, it comes from the fact that we did believe. It's an abounding hope as you look back on our salvation. That's why you've always got to be thinking about the gospel. There's a hope that led us to believe, to believe and a separate hope from having believed. We look back and we say, look what God has done. Look at the sins you've committed, even since you've become a Christian. You're like, oh my gosh. I still haven't broken that, that thing that has a hold over me, and God still takes me back? Shouldn't that floor you? And we look back and we see the peace and joy in that, right? And we know that courtesy of the Holy Spirit, that as good as that hope is and was in the beginning, there's even more to come. So it, I began with believing, right? There's nothing good in me. But then I believed in what God revealed about himself, 
and what Jesus has done for me. And, I, and soon I have this peace and joy that comes from that believing, right? And I hope even more. I expect more blessings. And all those hopes are what God has planned for me. It says he has planned good works for us to do. Not to earn our salvation, okay? But out of thankfulness for our salvation. He has so much for us to do. And it all comes from the Holy Spirit. So that the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I'm going to wrap up here. Three more minutes. I want to tell you, I want to talk to speak to a couple types of people in this room today. There's only two, two types of people here, okay? We're going to look at the first part of our passage. There's hope for two kinds of people. Listen to verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. That's the first time a type of people here. They're like old ancient Israel. They're the rule followers, okay? There's nothing wrong with that, being a rules person, okay? Here's the second kind of person. In verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. The Gentiles are the no rules people, okay? They're like, we don't need those rules. We don't need those stinking rules. The first kind of people, though, the rule followers, they look at that list and you think you can do it. But you can't, okay? And what our response is when we fail is we get depressed and anxious we feel shame. And if we do pull it off, the little list we picked that we're really good at, we get all full of ourselves. But Jesus, the servant, comes to show God's truthfulness that even in our failure to do it, the Holy Spirit is changing us into a people that can. That's the hope that He's changing us into somebody that can follow the moral law. There's hope. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. Here's the second kind of people Gentiles, okay? All this law stuff, no rules for me. You know, who cares? We never did that stuff before. We don't care about it, right? And then we see our need for God's mercy, for our lack of morality and our lack of following that way of life. But he doesn't hold us accountable because of Jesus. Jesus takes the accountability for us. And there's mercy, and we're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that's for me. And the Holy Spirit gives you hope because you know what? He changes you into a person who wants to be a moral person who wants to follow the rules. Let me finish on one verse here from our passage in verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all people extol him. For us rule followers and us freewheelers, okay, there's hope for both of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for so how, how full it is, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, for getting that dragon skin off us for the very first time, Lord. I pray that you would re- let us walk in peace and joy. Let, let us remember what you've done for us, Lord. Let us not cling to that molted-off skin of sin, Lord, but let us be thinking of what you did on the cross, what you, the angel of the Lord, did for us as we stood in front of God, Lord, changing our garments for the filthy sin we had before for the clean white rags. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.